Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Hoffpower. Hey guys, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Dear Doc Podcast. Today, we are joined in studio by a very special guest, Dr. Brett Murphy, owner of Woodlands Family Dentistry. Now, Brett, talk to me a little bit about, um, about your history. Now, I know that you weren't a dentist to begin with, uh, and you actually, if I'm not mistaken, you were a school teacher at one point. I was, yeah. In fact, I was going to go to dental school, but I took off for a year because I just felt like going to school that long was <laughs> too much of a burden. And uh, so I decided to teach for a year, had the opportunity and took it. That's fantastic. So what, uh, what was your past with dentistry? I and mean, what was it that made you say, hey, look, you know, you're, you're a smart guy, you're a businessman, and we're going to get into a little bit of that later on in, the, in, in our session here. But what is it that made you say, you know, I, I, dentistry is it for me? This is what I really want to do. Uh, you know, good question. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was in high school. I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur or work for myself. Um, I came from a family background of construction and I knew I didn't want to do asphalt and concrete. So, uh, and I was good at school. So I thought, Hey, if I can do this, I was competitive. So I, I decided to play that game of school and then I met a dentist when I was in college and he convinced me to, to be a dentist. Uh, you know, things that attracted me were the lifestyle, the trends, uh, from insurance that medicine was facing, things like that kind of told me don't go in that direction. So. It's, it's funny that you say that we have such, uh, it's interesting that we have so much in common there. I actually used to own a remodeling company. I did a lot of bathroom and kitchen remodels, but um, the reason I didn't go into medicine as an MD is because I saw the lifestyle challenges that they were facing. And I saw the reimbursement rates were slipping and that doctors were basically slaves. And I just couldn't see going to school for 10 or 12 or even 14 years, depending upon what specialty you choose. Right. And then being a slave for the rest of my life, it was. Absolutely. So talk to me a little bit about your practice. Um, we, this is part of my, my sub-series of dental practice models. And uh, you have a, a very interesting one. Uh, I'd like to call yours a, a large group practice. And I'm actually pulling up your, your doctors here. Mm-hmm. So you've got now what, five doctors who are working for you there? Um, probably so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Probably five or six. That's fantastic. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about, um, how you built this monster because there's, I mean, this, this is a huge practice. And, um, you know, one of the reasons that I decided to interview you is I've, I've met so many people that speak so very highly of the mentorship that you were able to establish in your pro- in your practice. And all of these guys are now practice owners. They, Unfortunately, I guess you train them up well enough and, uh, and you give them enough ambition, enough uh, yeah, belief they, in themselves, they make another practice. That's right. Too much confidence. So talk to me a little bit about um, how you built this and, and, and maybe even some of the, some of the, the folks that uh, people might recognize their names that have worked with sure, you. Sure, yeah. Um, so I, I started with the vision of reproducing it. That was, that was my goal. And I read the book that most of your listeners probably have read, The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. And it talks a lot about systems. And so I wanted to systematize everything. So I hit the door running and I tried to come up with manuals and, uh, you know, we didn't have the internet back then. I started in 07 and that's when the recession hit. I literally opened in December of right before 08, uh, which was a big recession. If people remember that. Yeah. That's, that so, was a tough time to be open, man. Yeah, it was crazy, but, but I decided to not participate. That's what I, <laughs> that's my line. I didn't participate <laughs> with the recession. And nice. made it made it through. Yeah, we did fantastic. We just we knocked it out of the park. We did like 1.1 million our first year. Oh, that's amazing. And uh, yeah, it was great. So I said, hey, let's start. We need to grow and expand. And actually started looking for another doctor to join us. And I found Colin Lathrop. And he started, he was my first associate that I ever had. And it was just, it was fantastic. We got along very well. Yeah. Um, personally, professionally, we had the same philosophy. And we just had, we had a lot of fun. And unfortunately, he moved. Uh, you know, good hour and a half away from me. And he, he has a beast of a practice there. Yeah, he himself. sure does. He's definitely taken the lessons, uh, lessons that you you taught him and expanded upon. And he's made kind of his own brand of what you do. So, yeah. so talk to me a little bit about what 
went into your non-participation because I, I'm of a firm belief and um, people can call me an alarmist, but frankly, I predicted the recession that we had earlier this year. I didn't predict COVID, but mm -hmm. I knew that we were having recession coming. It was going to be a big one. With all of this money that's been pumped into our economy, these trillions of dollars, plus this increase in minimum wage they're talking about, mm. my fear is that we're going to have one hell of a, of, a, of a depression, actually, not even a recession, coming up here in the next year to two years. Um, and and, and you, can, you can expound upon whether you, you believe that that's true as well or not, or in what indicators you, you see. You did just come around from your globe-trotting uh, trip to get to see how the rest of the world is doing since COVID. Yeah. So um, please expand on that and, and talk a little bit about some of the techniques you use to not participate so that maybe our listeners can uh, can choose to not participate in what I think is coming. Yeah, I think part of not participating is definitely starts with your mindset. Uh, you know, I believe that the only one that control your that can control your thoughts is you. So that's the one thing we always have power on is our thoughts. So if you change the way you think, then uh, you'll think differently than other people and that'll give you different results than other people are having so it's kind of like a, a mantra that i use is is i can control my thoughts and and i'm going to establish positive thoughts in my mind and stay away from the neg negativity and what i can do to insulate myself with that is expect the best expect to win expect to come out victoriously um so there's lots of ways of going <laughs> going about that and in dentistry we've got a great field because um, I, it's not it's not recession proof or anything like that but there's a lot of things in dentistry that we can that people have needs that aren't going to go away i've always said i could make a make a living off of treating toothaches absolutely there's so many toothaches that's one of the things i don't understand um, a lot of practice owners won't take emergency they don't like seeing emergencies those are my favorite yeah. patients because yeah. i there's such a, a value add to that patient's life oh man huge yeah, and you're doing a, you're doing a favor for them, and so that reciprocity of helping them, you know, comes back tenfold, and, and how they'll get their treatment done or boast about you to other people. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, what are your thoughts on this uh, on, on on my doom and gloom about there being a um, an upcoming recession here? Mm, I think it's inevitable. I think <laughs> I can't imagine the growth that we've or the money that's being pumped out there uh, without a plan to repay it. I don't think there's a, any plan to repay any of the money. So I think we should ride it as long as we can. Absolutely. And uh, save what we can and uh, invest. Now Now also affords us some great opportunities to invest uh, in, in the market and try to take advantage of those kind of situations or, or uh, take advantage of, I guess, of the bubble right now. Yeah. And, I would, I would completely agree. Um, so right now, um, I mentioned a little earlier your, your globe-trotting uh, trip there, and I, I just enviously watched your pictures come onto, onto your Facebook feed, uh, the fun you were having with the kids in the boat. Talk to us a little bit about that. And we, we talked a little earlier outside before we came on the air about kind of what, what prompted that. And, um, you know, talk a little bit about that, because I think sure. these dentists, particularly successful dentists, we don't necessarily talk about our failures and because they're, they're embarrassing and mm -hmm. they it's deeply personal. Uh, and you, you agreed to share some of that with us. Sure. So talk to me a little bit about that. How are you feeling before you went on vacation? How are you feeling when you got back the, the whole, the whole nine yards? Sure. Yeah. I'd be happy to. Um, we decided, uh, for those guys who don't know, we decided my wife and I to take a, a year long sabbatical or year long trip and, it was right after my wife's uh, father passed away. He was diagnosed and with cancer and died five months later. Wow. And we were cleaning out his house and we thought, we don't want his stuff. Like we didn't want anything. We didn't need it. And, and then we thought, gosh, life's short. We need to do something. And that kind of spurred us on to trying to figure out something that we could do. And we stumbled across boats and I have a big love for boats and the ocean and uh, the sea. So we decided to buy a, a yacht and live on it for a year in that process we planned for it for about eight months and i basically had to figure out how i was going to test my model of not being in the office right so for me i had been the guy that arrives every morning at 7 45 a.m and then i would joke uh, with my wife saying i'm just not the kind of guy who can get home at 5 p.m mm -hmm. i never got home at 5 p.m i said i didn't have banker hours so I'd be home at 6.30, 7 o'clock, commonly, all the time. <laughs> I worked. I was a machine. 
And, and I paid for that. I started realizing I was paying for it. I had an arm surgery, I had a nerve that got pinched, it quit working. And I couldn't use my thumb, but it was on my mirror hand. That's kind of like an isometric mm -hmm. uh, position that I would hold it in. I got past that. And then, man, it just, it just can take a beating on your body being a dentist. And um, during the whole thing of the sabbatical, what I realized is that I wasn't so much after money. I didn't really care. I like money a lot. Don't get me wrong, but I, it wasn't the thing that I wanted. What I, what I realized, what I wanted was freedom. And that freedom for me meant um, not being a slave to the job. And I, when I say slave, I, I never perceived it as being a slave. It was just uh, something I realized in retrospect. And after I had moved, we picked up the boat in France. And so we flew the whole family out to France. We got on the boat and we literally lived on it. I uh, slept on the boat for every night for over a year. And yeah, during that process, it kind of made me realize that I had gotten burned out in dentistry and I had kind of been so numb to the fact that I could get burnt out because I perceive, um, I don't like to perceive to be weak or to think I'm weak. It's kind of a personality issue that I have. So weakness is a sign of failure. And I didn't want to admit that. Just Absolutely. I, I, I completely understand. You know, the thing is, is, and this is a discussion that I've had with a couple of our guests, the very traits that drive us to be super successful or the very traits that keep us from enjoying the success that we have. It, it's almost like we're loath to admit that we've gotten to the point where we're successful because if we change anything, the formula changes and we can't predict what the effects are. Does, right, does, that, yeah. does that resonate with you? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, it's, it was, uh, I, I, a lot of folks know whenever I sold my practice, uh, or I, rather I partnered with MB2, it, it was a huge life change for me because I went from, you know, my life was my business, my life. And that's who I was. It's who I identified myself as, right. I, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm Doc Huffbauer, right? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the dentist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and whenever, whenever you get to that point where you're, you reach a point of inflection in life, I, I think that it's hard for a lot of us because it, I mean, those, those traits are so ingrained, you know, in like that right. hatred of weakness, that hatred of weakness is what wouldn't allow you to take a day off because taking a day off would be easy otherwise. Right. But That's if you, right. if you worried that you would, you were weak and you didn't want to be weak because, you know, you gave into a little cold or what have you, um, that, that's what drove you to be successful and to be who you were. Right. And I think that in a very real way, um, we've got to, um, we, we've got to just be very, very honest with ourselves about who we are and what those traits are that made us successful so that we can take a step back from ourselves and say, okay, so that I'm there now, do I need to change this so I can enjoy my success? Right. Or is this something that it's okay that I keep, you know? Right. Yeah. I think that's very important. The, the awareness, I always think awareness is one of the most important things that, that we should have because it allows us to sense a situation and and detect what we should do how we should adapt, adapt and adjust to it so absolutely that and introspection yeah. that introspection um, is massive yeah so talk to me a little bit here if you were um a new grad or you're a an associate right now where would you flick the switch and say okay i'm gonna start a new practice what would your process be what would the minimum systems that you would put together be and i'm gonna let you run with that i want you to basically give them a how to how do they get where you are right now. Okay. <laughs> Start with a plan. You got to have a vision. That's the main thing I would say. You got to have a mi mission, vision, goals, you know, so write down your goals, write everything down. If you don't write it down, then it's, then it's uh, not a reality. It won't become a reality for sure. So start with the plan and figure out what you want. There's so many different models. That's what's hard in dentistry. And especially with social media, we're able to have access to so much information. So when I started my practice, we didn't have social media. We didn't have anything. I mean, we, we had cell phones, but <laughs> with the iPhone had only been out for like a year. And uh, so what, what I mean by that is I couldn't observe so many different models. You know, I couldn't say, oh, well, this is how Colin Lathrop does it. Oh, this is how this doctor does it. So there wasn't that um, um, openness of ideas and, and people mentioning stuff or talking about systems. So then I had to read, I had to learn a lot from other businesses. And that's what I said. I said, I don't want to be like a dentist. So that's my recommendation is don't think like a dentist, think like a businessman. If you think like a dentist, uh, what does that mean? So I don't mean to be negative, but sometimes dentists uh, 
dentists believe in marketing a lot. So they, <laughs> they make decisions based on marketing or emotion. So you don't make decisions based on emotion. You make decisions based on, on uh, your thought process and if it accomplishes your goals and your mission. So you kind of weigh everything back, um, all the decisions that you want to make. Does that accomplish my goals, missions, um, vision? And if it doesn't, then you eliminate it. You kick it out and, you know, find a place that you want to, that you want great visibility. I'm not a big fan of buying because I've never had the opportunity to buy where I, where I work or my offices are. So I rent and rent's fine. You can totally rent fine. So if you can buy, go for it, man. You'll have a long-term asset. I would do it, but the situation wasn't right for me. So if you have that plan, you need to know how to do dentistry. You know how to be good at dentistry. And I say that, but there's a lot of dentists out there that don't really know how to be good at dentistry. So I would say invest in yourself. That's the other thing. Always invest in yourself. You're the best investment that you'll ever make. You'll give yourself the highest returns. Um, don't chase rabbit tails, <laughs> rabbit trails. Absolutely. Completely so. agree. You know, one of the first things I did whenever I got out of school is I began spending massive amounts of money on CE. In fact, my first two or three years, I brought nothing home that didn't go directly to CE. Yeah. Um, it, it was, it was a, a huge thing for me to be able to catapult my practice to the levels that I wanted it to be at. Yeah. I could do things other people couldn't do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did the exact same thing. I took as much CE from, I started taking CE when I was in dental school. Me too. I, I traveled to Chicago. I would travel to Florida. I would go wherever I could go. And you know what, when you say, Oh, I'm a dental student, I don't have any money, but can I take your course? You'll be shocked. They'll say, sure. You can audit. A lot it. of them will just yeah. let you take the course. It, it's amazing. Yeah. You know, you might not get the CE hours, but you get the knowledge and that's what yeah. you're paying for. Right. Absolutely. And when you're a student, you don't need the hours because you're not, you're not, you don't need them for your state license or anything like that. So, so I would say, yeah, take all the courses that way you can learn stuff so you can add value so that you're not a referred honest. And that way you can produce a lot. I love that. Refer honest. Yeah. Very nice. Okay. So now we're at the step where we've got our vision. We've got um, an idea of where we're going. We're going to take some CE. We're going to better ourselves clinically so that we can deliver. I always, I always like to say it's, a, it's about planning, refining, delivering, and repeat. Yeah, I love it. I believe that. So talk to me about your repeat. You said you had originally, your first thought was, I've got to make something that I can scale. Mm -hmm. I want to make something that I can make repeatable. Uh, talk to me about how you've done that because you, you've grown an enormous practice at this point. Uh, what, what, what do you guys produce a year, total production? Um, all the offices are, we have three all offices. Office. So we're doing about three and a half, three and a half million out of our main office and the other offices are, One's about 750 last year. We're projected to hit a million this year. And then, uh, yeah, another one's at about a million right now, a million two. So I love what you said there. We're projected, meaning I look at my numbers. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the, one of the most important things is metrics and looking at things. If I, if I could have gone back to study something different in college, I think I would be an economist. I think that's one of the best fields of understanding human behavior and how money works. And for a practice, that's vital. It's absolutely crucial to know your numbers. Absolutely. I, I would, I would say the, uh, maybe the dual major of psychologist and, uh, and economist at the yeah. same time, just to yeah. see why markets behave the way they behave. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all of this, uh, all of this fear buying and Bitcoin and, uh, all of the other cryptos right now is, is really interesting. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I, I'm watching people make decisions based upon the decisions that other people have made just because they're basically they're pushing the easy button. They're saying, oh, well, someone else is doing it. It must be right. They're not really kind of thinking through mm -hmm. the, the, the truth of the, of the situation. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think so. That's why I said have your own vision, your own mission, your own plan. <laughs> if you do, then you're not following others. You're, you're paving your own path. You're, you're doing what you want. So that aligns yourself with your own goals, which is important because to be in conflict with yourself is nothing's worse than that. Well, yeah, you, it's really hard to progress in any way if you are in yeah. conflict with yourself. So um, talk to us a little bit about um, right now you are on three successful practices. Um, you're got lots of associate doctors. You are living the dream, right? My dream. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So we've gotten to a point that, um, but going out on the boat, test my, tested my model of me not being there. Right. And 
man, I'm just telling you, it's just been the best thing ever to have that band-aid pulled off because yeah, I was just so entrapped. <laughs> and, and since I've come back, I've decided to focus on developing the practice and uh, improving systems and, you know, constantly working on culture. So I haven't seen patients. I've seen a handful of patients, but uh, I'm not projecting myself out there that I'm seeing patients. I don't have a schedule. So, which means I don't have accountability from the staff where I'm supposed to show up or I'm supposed to be there, which gives me freedom to move around different places. I can go to different yeah, offices and tend to whatever situations I need to and help coach the doctors and, and grow. So, so you fully trans transitioned. I'm, I'm a big believer that every dental practice owner is a CEO by day or, or CEO by night, a clinician by day. Mm -hmm. You've got so many hats that you wear. It's hard to really wear one of those hats. Well, it is. And some people can do it. And, and, uh, and I did it. <laughs> I did it for a long time. Uh, I've been out of school for 15 years. So I did it for a long time, but it's taxing. It takes its toll on you. The, the mental aptitude and capacity that you have. I always say things are based on capacity of what somebody can handle. So the capacity can be a lot if you can juggle it. Absolutely. One of my favorite sayings is whenever you say yes to something, you say no to something else. Yeah, that's true. So talk to me here. You've got this um, open mic night right now. You, uh, you have a stage of 20,000 dentists. If you had just one message to get across to them, one lesson, something you've learned, something you see about to happen that you want to warn them about, whatever your message is, what would that be? Man, I got lots of stuff to talk about. Um, and when I say that, I have lots of things that I, are in my mind that I want. <laughs> I'd like to keep people from avoiding some of the situations that I had. And one thing that I did was early on was invest in my family. That was a big thing that I was, um, that I really focused on because I foresaw that it would be a problem for me because I like to, um, I like to rock and roll. I like to move. I like to do stuff. I like to accomplish and uh, conquer. So I decided I was very deliberate in uh, family time. So I've got three kids and I invested in being with them. So I would not work Fridays. I stopped working Fridays when they were young. And uh, um, I invested into my wife. One thing I said is I spent a lot of money on continuing education and traveling. I would always do stuff like this. So I said, I need to invest in my marriage the same way. So my wife and I started going to conferences or we'd go to some uh, marriage seminar or something. We'd travel and we'd go do that. Um, I also did date nights on Thursday night. Um, I said I did because since I've been back from the boat, I've been back for three months and um, we haven't started back up date night, but we still are very intentional with uh, spending one-on-one -on -one time with one another. So one-on-one -on -one time with your, with your uh, spouse is huge. So, and this doesn't have anything to do with dentistry. <laughs> if you haven't, if you notice, what, are you sure? But it has everything to do with dentistry. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Because if you're not a whole person, if you're not able to take care of yourself, if you're uh, falling apart, then it's gonna, it's gonna trans translate to everything else in your life. And you'll just have a, a snowball effect. You know, I went through a period of time where I, I just got to the point where I just hated dentistry. I just, uh, I wanted yeah. nothing to do with it. And I, I became very depressed. And do you know what happened? My production went down. Yeah. My, yeah. my close rate went down. Right. People like to deal with happy people. Mm -hmm. And when you're happy, you are going to produce more and patients are going to say yes. Yep. Absolutely. I buy that hook, line, and sinker. So talk to me a little bit more here. You said you have a whole world of advice that you'd like to give. Give me your, give me your top five. Um, let's see for dentistry. Well, one, make yourself a whole person, take care of yourself, invest into yourself. Um, two, don't refer, try every procedure. If you can't finish it, then you refer it. I think that's a great idea. I started doing that when I was young, right when I got out of school, I would say, Hey, uh, this is going to be a challenging root canal, but I feel confident that I can do it. And if I can't, then I'll refer you down the street to the endodontist and let him do it because he's got the instruments and the technology in his office that makes him capable to do this. Not that I can't do it. Oh, this is too hard for me. Sorry, I messed up. <laughs> you know, that kind mm -hmm. of deal. Absolutely. But hey, I couldn't take care of it. I'll let them finish it. And it was what we agreed on. 
by doing that, uh, I can do pretty much a root canal on anything, I think, um, because I learned just the basics of how to do it. And I, I just taught myself. So you don't need to run off necessarily to go take courses and on all this stuff. You can find stuff on the internet. It's uh, laughable. I used to, it used to be a joke. I would say I, I watched it on YouTube and it was in Japanese or something, but right. there, I watched them do this. You know, you can't, you can watch what they're doing. Now it's no joke, man. It's legit. It, it really is. You know, you can Ooh. find, I think that a lot of these students who are coming off of this, uh, this last year of dental school, uh, they're going to have to lean pretty heavily on YouTube yeah. to, uh, yeah, amazing. To, to be, to be decent at all. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, when you don't refer, you get more reps, you get more reps, you get more comfortable, you know, then you learn how to take out impacted thirds and then you learn how to, you know, take out fully impacted thirds and, and you learn, you just, you, so you don't limit yourself by not being able to treat people. So figure out how to do stuff, especially if you want to be a solo practitioner, even if you're in a group, you know, Hey, if you're in a group, you could do all the root canals, then everybody's going to send them to you. It's and always, always ways that you can figure out how to do stuff there. Absolutely. And if you're in a small town, it's so important to be able to do everything. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You can just crush it. And then, you know, one of my doctors asked me last Thursday, said, Hey, do you, is it really that much more profitable to do big cases? And I looked at him and said, absolutely. It's absolutely more profitable to do big cases because if you want to lower your overhead, increase your production. So increase absolutely. your revenue. Absolutely. So a lot of people think, Oh, I got to cut costs here. I got to cut costs there. It's like, no, buddy, like increase your revenue. You can control that so easy. And then it makes other things just kind of, um, well, so much one, of the, one of the things I've always liked to say uh, about the practice of dentistry and, and running a, a business is that there are levers and there are dials that you can throw. And, mm -hmm. you know, levers make big changes. Dials refine things. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's important to look at your overhead and look for waste and to trim waste. Yeah. But the big thing is doing more production. Open up an extra hour. Open up late. Mm -hmm. People love that. You know, just remember, again, when you say yes to something, you say no to something That's else. Right. So make sure you're saying yes to the things you want to keep in your life. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you want to be the doctor that comes in at 9 p, you know, 9 a.m., come in at 9 a.m. Like, figure out what works for you. Figure out what systems work for you. But then know that you've got a whole staff that's going to have to do that, too, whether it's come in early or stay late or, or, or work only four hours a day. I mean, <laughs> you can do it. Absolutely. But. Well, they have to be, you know, like you said earlier, in yeah. alignment. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say one of the things, another bit of advice, like for owning a practice or opening a practice would be uh, control your supply costs. So supply costs are probably, in my opinion, the, the most vital uh, metric that we can follow to make sure that we're staying in a, in a nice, safe range. And then people say, well, what's that range? And it's like, well, what do you produce? <laughs> I don't know what your percentage <laughs> is, but I'd probably go with a six to 10%. So some people might say 15%, and then I would say go lower. And then you can lower it by producing more. So and don't that. and don't do what Dr. Huffpower did and buy a whole bunch of equipment when you first start up. Yeah. Make the money to buy the equipment out of your cash flow. And, yeah. And there, here's another thing: learn to read a cash flow statement. I see all these dentists; they talk about their PML this, PML that. A PML can be made to show anything you damn Absolutely. well want. Learn your cash flow statement. Yeah, cash flow is the most important aspect. If you don't remember anything I say, <laughs> cash flow, you want cash flow, cash flow, cash flow and profit profits. The number one thing too, because or earnings, that's why we're here. Right. Exactly. So. You know, a lot of dentists get out there and um, uh, it, it's a bit of a measuring contest. They'll pull out their, their production and yeah. it's like, it means something. It means nothing Yeah. because the only thing that matters is the net. Right. Yeah. What you take home. And I've always been really skilled at saving money. That's one thing that my dad always taught me is be cash and don't have debt and all this kind of stuff. And there's some debt that's acceptable to have in a practice. So I'm not saying that that if, if you can draw depreciation on it or take tax breaks from it and you need it anyway, then it's great. So, but save money. Like I'm the kind of guy that I just bought a used Sarek machine. So uh, we need one and I bought a used one and got it really, really value-based <laughs> cheap a <laughs> great price oh goodness so. and that now we're going to talk about something else yeah one of the things that makes a good dentist a productive dentist is the ability to communicate well and the ability to communicate well is entirely based upon your knowledge of what pictures words create in other people's minds mm -hmm. you just gave us an example yeah, and well it was said. so funny because you had to struggle with 
not saying it the way that you would present to a patient. So yeah. talk to me about some of those beautiful words, powerful words and how you oh, use man. them. Whew. Yeah. So this is one of the other things that I'm most um, enthusiastic about. And it's all, also one of those things that if you can learn how to communicate with somebody, then uh, meaning your patient, then your life's going to be so much easier. Your case acceptance is going to go through the roof. I have, I have super high case acceptance. I mean, we have systems in our office that help with that, but, but, but how we talk to somebody. So the first thing I would say is throw out all those big, fancy, long medical words and try to find ways of replacing them. Like gingiva is the, your gums, you know? Absolutely. So, <laughs> so if you figure out how to throw out all those words and you can, you can, you can speak plain English, you're going to be so much ahead of the game just by learning to forget. And, and I'd said that I joke, joke about the gingiva, but there was a time where I forgot what it was called gums. I'm like, what is the normal word for it? You know, I couldn't <laughs> figure it out. I'm like, Oh, the gingiva. So I also recommend don't use minimizing words. So minimizing words, it's uh, it's just a cleaning. It's just a crown. Um, it's kind of a cavity. What? <laughs> kind of? Uh, you know, of course, don't say incipient. It's not incipient decay. Don't say that. I believe you may have a class to radiographic deletion. Yeah, so I see that. a pararadicular radiolucency. <laughs> uh, and hey, we don't, we see para, para, <laughs> periapical radiolucencies all the time. Absolutely. And they don't shock us. But guess what? I'm shocked every time I look at one with a patient because they've never seen one, yep. you know, and I go, whoa, man, you've got this big infection on your root. Absolutely. And that's how we fix it. Well, it doesn't hurt. Well, you see that little black dot right there. That mm -hmm. means that the infection is eating a hole in your bone. It is. So yeah, your we body's should in, probably do something about that. Your body's ingesting all that pus. And it's a time bomb. It's going to go off. I don't know when it's going to go off. Yep, I, and I don't want it to go off. And I know you came here for your chipped tooth on, you know, that front tooth. And we're going to fix that. But, <laughs> but it's a blessing in disguise that you came in because we caught this. Absolutely. And yeah. I, one of the things I've always found works well, uh, at least in, in my hands, uh, so to speak, is congratulating them on all the great decisions they make. Yeah, I love that. Keep it positive. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, I think you're making a really good decision to get this implant retained denture instead of just a regular denture. I think you're going to be very happy with the choice. Mm -hmm. You're so smart. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you made the right choice. <laughs> And you made the right choice in coming to this office. Absolutely. Yeah. And you've had some other work in your mouth and it looks fantastic. I, you know, <laughs> I just feel honored that you came here and you're sincere. And I tell the staff that too, staff brag on the doctors, brag on me. Absolutely. I want, if there's anybody I want to impress in my office, it's my staff. That's all I care about. I do not care about impressing patients. It's nice. It's awesome. But if you don't impress your staff, then you're losing, you're losing the game. So Absolutely. that's probably my third bit of advice yeah. is impress your staff. One of my absolute um, proudest moments, I, um, I, I've, I've joked before that I enjoy firing people and I do kind of enjoy firing people because if it's gotten to that point, I've already done everything I can to help you and you're just not helpful. Yeah. But I, I, was, I had the occasion that I was letting someone go and uh, in our exit interview, she breaks down and starts crying. And I said, hey, look, it's gonna be okay. And she said, but will you still see me and my family? <laughs> That's what she was crying about. She thought that I wasn't going to be her That's dentist. fantastic. And that was, I, I've, I've done full mouth rehabs. I've helped people change their lives. That was probably one of the proudest That's moments beautiful. of my life. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's a big compliment. No doubt. Yeah. And about firing, I say I've never fired anybody. They fire they, themselves. They fire themselves. <laughs> so they absolutely fire themselves. So it's apparent that you don't want to be here anymore because you did blank. You know, we invite you to be happy somewhere else. Very, very nice. I love it. So, so some more of these power words here. Um, oh man, speaking plain, that's kind of the biggest thing. Um, drawing a blank on other power words. For me, enamel is, you know, it's the white part on top of your gum. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, I say a tooth's like an M&M. It's got a thick candy shell and chocolate on the inside. Love I it. said that 10,000 times in my life and I've done <laughs> well, 10,000 times. Be a, you must yeah. be an expert on it now. <laughs> I am. I'm an expert on it. Yeah. I mean, just drawing that, that kind of an analogy is a, is a good way for a patient to have a visual uh, that they can actually understand, you know, the cavity has gone into the 
past the chocolate or the, you know, into the chocolate and it's way softer. You know, it is, it's nine times softer than, than enamel. So what, what other analogies do you use in your practice? Um, gosh, give me a scenario. I'll give you one. Peridol disease. Um, it's a, it's an infection in your gums. So there's a reason that one out of five people over the age of 60 don't have any teeth. And if we eliminate it now, you're going to be four out of the five. You're going to keep your teeth. You're not going to lose them. And it's an infection. It's an infection. That's basically the same area as the palm of your hand. I love that. If you had that much surface area on your body infected, you would want to get rid of it. So bleeding pussy infection. Pus. Yeah. I mean, pus it's, it's, you know, it's like a teaspoon of pus that you've, uh, that your body has to clear out of its body through your lymphatic system every, every month. You know, I mean, that's, it's a lot of pus. It's not a, it's not a joke. It's a sizable amount. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's a big amount. So that's one I use for, for gum disease. I, and I like to say disease. It's not, it's a therapy. Yes. It's not, a, it's not, we're not doing a prophylaxis, which means prevention. It's not to prevent the disease. It's to therapeutically remove the disease. So I try to just speak honest with them about that. Fantastic. Um, I, I find that uh, patients by and large, whenever you're plain spoken with them, their understanding increases. And when understanding increases, not only does your case acceptance goes uh, go up, yeah. but your chance of being sued goes down. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably so. I mean, I've always heard that friends don't sue friends. I don't necessarily agree with that from experience, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes uh, things don't go the way planned and uh, we always plan for them to go. So yeah, it's, it's, it's expectations and communication. That's what I always, that's one of the, I say that 50 times a week and usually with my staff, it's expectation and communication. Somebody got upset about something that their expectations weren't met or we didn't communicate it to them. You so know, how can we improve on that? One of the things I've always done with my patients is um, I was taught by a very, very wise doctor when I was in dental school and uh, Dr. Roberts, if you're out there and you're listening to this, it was you. So uh, he told me one day, he said, you know, Chris, here's the thing. When you're doing a procedure, tell the patient what is most likely to go wrong and then tell them that you have a plan for that because there's nothing worse that whenever you're doing a procedure and something goes wrong that you didn't cover, you look like a freaking idiot. look like an idiot. But if you do the procedure and it doesn't go wrong, you look like a god amongst dentists. And if you do the procedure and it does go wrong, you're fucking Nostradamus. You can't lose. Yeah. And I've always found him to be absolutely correct. That's that's fantastic advice. I'll I'll take that too. (laughs) But it is. It's so true. And yeah, lay it out there and let them know that these are the things that could happen. And when I say that, you don't necessarily talk them out of treatment. Um, but you let them know that what could happen, because if you don't, then you look like an idiot. You look like you're dishonest, that you withheld information. So you can say, Hey, look, I mean, I mean, (laughs) when my wife gave uh, birth to our our kids, I was reading all the things that could happen. And I'm like, (laughs) Holy crap, this is nuts. So informed consent's great for that. You know, that's also another thing. Make sure you've got informed consent. Another thing about opening a practice is invest in, uh, your policies and your manuals and stuff like that. Yes. Because if you don't, oh my gosh, then you better know a good employment attorney and you better know a good uh, trial lawyer. And Who did you have do yours? I know that Cedar does a lot of that. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I hire, So I, I came up with as much as I could come up with. So I'm that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. I'm slow to ask for help. I kind of like to try to do things all on my own. And it's to my own detriment sometimes, many times. But I, so I gather everything I could possibly gra- ga- gather. And then I gave it to a, an employment attorney, if we're talking about a manual. And I'll let him look it over. So another bit of advice is learn how to use attorneys because attorneys are like instruments and each one does a specific job. And when I first started, I did not know that. And that's true. So give all your information to an employment attorney or go through Cedar. I think he's got a great reputation. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the thing is, if you use the wrong attorney on something, they'll still take the business, but they're less efficient. Like I, I learned that one too with uh, working with patent law and things like that. Yeah. It cost me three times as much to use someone who was cheaper <laughs> because yeah, it took yeah, so right. much longer. Um, that's right. One of the things that you brought up there, yeah, you're talking about your policies manual. I'm huh. a firm believer that every policy should be documented, but every procedure should be documented as well. And that your training manual or your procedure manual should be written on a sixth grade level so that mm-hmm. if the person who does that job gets hit by a bus, someone yep. else can pick that manual up and do it. Talk to us a little bit about what your procedure manual looks like, what your how-to manual or whatever you call it. Yeah, I, I say I say write it like a kindergartner could read it. Yep. 
I have maybe my expectations are, are, are less, but but I seriously write it in a way that's plain English. I say that with lab slips. Write it out like a kindergartner can read it, because if the lab guy doesn't understand you, he, you can't imply anything. So when you write stuff down, um, it has to be literal. It's it, it is what it is. There's no you don't imply anything from it. It's purely observable. So so yeah, we create uh, what what you just said is is brilliant because. If somebody gets hit by a bus tomorrow, it can be real intimidating telling your staff, hey, I need you guys to write the manual on this. What, what that means is start with step one, step two, step three, step four, step five. And if there's 150 steps, then I want them all listed out so we can see exactly what steps go into this. And I Absolutely. want I want however many seconds that the bonding agent needs to be put out on the table, put it out right there. Only one drop, be careful, it comes out really fast. <laughs> a drop's about a dollar 25. So yeah, I write out all those so things. Expensive. Have you ever done the, um, hey guys, you know how much a gallon of this costs? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I always say it's just more expensive than crack cocaine. But, <laughs> but yeah, it is. I mean, shoot. Yeah. 40,000 a gallon. Sometimes it's $300,000 a gallon. Yeah. So it gets very expensive. But uh, so that's the process that I would say I get started with is, is let them write the manual. And what it, it can be intimidating because they're like, oh, well, you're going to replace me if I write this down. And if somebody says that, then they probably don't need to be working for you. I agree. Absolutely your, agree. And I tell all my employees, your job is to replace yourself. That's the biggest compliment that you can get because if you replace yourself, you're moving up. You're not going down. There's no going down. It's either you're going you're going out or up. So find out how to replace yourself. And and what that means is add more value. Keep adding more value. And that's why you pay people is because they add value. If they Absolutely. don't add value, then they don't work with you. you know? well, wait a minute. Are you saying that the existence tax doesn't occur in your office? You don't <laughs> just get a raise because the sun, you know, oh, man. circled by that's the earth my one more staff time? about that. Yeah. <laughs> no, we don't do that. But that's not fair. I don't get that. I don't get money just because I sit around and don't do anything. So. I, I think, I think, is that fair is a... Um, a question a lot more dentists should be asking of themselves, not of the things that they're necessarily doing, but of the things they're allowing others to do to them. Yeah, no, that's true, man. A lot of dentists get worked. I have so many people that I've seen over the years that come work for us, um, or let's just say interview. And I just go, oh my gosh, you just got ruined by your last dentist because they, they let them run all over them. They did whatever they want. And then I can't hire them because no. there's no way I can afford to pay this girl 25 bucks an hour to, you know, hand the instruments. Yeah. And she's been assisting for eight months. Right. <laughs> how are you, what are your ideas on um, production based hygiene? I, I'm a huge believer. I think it should happen. I have never been able to implement it in my practice. In fact, at the current rates, I'm thinking about just doing the scaling myself at this point, because yeah. it's gotten to the point where I, I can't conceive of how a $50 an hour hygienist with the reimbursements that you get. Oh yeah, no. I, I, I can't, I, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I haven't paid, I haven't paid hourly in I don't know how many years, eight years, 10 years. So how did you have that discussion with them? And what, uh, what are your recommendations to get into that system where you're paying by production? You make a lot more money, um, the hygienist will. Ours make about $85 an hour. And I mean, people, all these, one quarter production or, or one third, I think is kind of what they say is an average. Um, mine get pay, paid a quarter, 25%. So um, they produce so much more. I mean, they just, they crank it. And there's, you know, different well, people do, are different. Because no one, no one needs an hour long profi, but that's how long yeah. it's going to take no matter what. A kid, right, right. they're going to take an hour. An adult, they're going to take an hour. That's right. It's, uh, I, I'm in the process of um, releasing my book and it's called don't be a gas. And in the book, I go into different states of matter, gases, solids, and liquids and liquids will fit into any container that you put them in. Those are amazing employees. Yeah. Solids. They'll never change. They're rock solid. You can depend on them for exactly certain things. And that's great. It. Great analogy. And then there's gases and gases. You can push a gas to make it more compacted. You can compress a gas. But the thing is, is that a gas will fill whatever container you put it in mm -hmm. and hygienists are gases. Yeah. Yeah. And they have, I mean, some of them have that strong aptitude um, that they could be an entrepreneur. They could run their own business. Absolutely. But they're limited to do it in Texas for sure. I mean, our, you have to have a, uh, you have to practice with a dentist. You can't practice by yourself. I know there's probably four states out there. 
I think that the hygienist can. So that's, that's like a big ding, 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 ding. Like, hey, pay attention to that one. That's a great way to make a lot of money and revenue for a practice is to have hygienists that are just rocking and rolling. Absolutely. And, and a lot of hygienists, like you said, they really, they're, they're motivated. They're driven. But the thing is, you've Very got to motivated. give them something to be motivated by. Yeah. You know, being in charge of your own production, being able to say, hey, you know, my patient canceled. I'm getting on that phone. I'm calling patients. Yeah. So, yeah. and their their health and well being, their lifestyle is tied into the success of your practice. Then I, I I think it's just a brilliant brilliant move. Massive. I'm telling you, young dentists, pay attention to that. That's probably, I mean, that's been massive for me. So I mean, we have we have hygienists that produce over forty thousand a month, and it's like, bro, wow, a lot of new dentists produce forty thousand in a month. Right. And I mean, they just crank it in and out. And if you want to talk about overhead, like we were talking about supplies and stuff, your overhead costs on hygiene are cheap. You know, the other day they asked if they could buy some scalers that were 1600 bucks. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Yes, please buy them. Like have all you want. Heck, you know, if you uh, get hooked up with a student hygienist and let her come and, uh, you know, visit your practice, what yeah. have you, their price for scalers is literally one third of the price that you'll pay from Henry Schein. Yeah, so just good an advice. FYI out there, guys, for, for a real easy way to turn that dial and uh, shave some cost off. Now, um, last thing I wanted to talk to you about is the ability to scale and grow. And mm -hmm. um, there is a game called Conway Soldiers. And what the whole point of the game is, is that you want to move checkers beyond the center line of the chessboard, and you want to get as far out on the other side as possible. Now, whenever you have the most efficient setup, to get to level one requires two checkers and one move. To get to level two requires four checkers. To get to level three requires eight checkers. So how many checkers do you think it takes to get to level four? 16. 20. Hmm. And how many to get to level five? <laughs> 50. Impossible. You can't make it. You can't make it to level five. Unless, of course, you have a change of basis of the game and you allow diagonal movements, in which case you can actually get out to, I believe, level 12 or level 16 before you, you reach an infinite number of moves to get to the next level. My point in bringing that up is that I've always thought of business in this way uh, because it's really easy to scale and grow up to a certain point. And most dentists can hit a million dollars in production mm -hmm. in a practice if they just, they just don't do anything stupid. And there's a lot who don't hit that, which is what really amazes me. But to let, to get to the level where you are is very impressive because it means you had a change of basis. You had to think not like a dentist, yeah, just like you were saying earlier, or you have to partner with somebody who's building a top-down structure. And basically they're just stacking pyramids on top of each other. Someone like MB2 or one of the other uh, DSOs or DPOs out there they have figured out that you need to have a complete change of basis to get past level four. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think it's a great, a great point because it's, it's almost like you can get there on your own might uh, as, as a dentist that's by producing and that's, that's our form of performance. So, and that's the paradigm that we all live in. We think, oh, the way to get there is just produce more. And then you kind of cap out, you know, like people say, well, what can you do? And I say, well, I'll show you how to do this with all these other parameters in place and you kind of get tapped out of what you can do and tapped out uh, can be pretty darn good. But to move past that is, um, oh my gosh, for me in my life just been so much uh, better because I've gotten the freedom like we were talking about right. uh, earlier. I've gotten the freedom, but I had to get to get the freedom. I had to completely break my chain of thought or my, my process, how things Total worked. change of basis. Absolutely. I mean, I had to, I haven't worn scrubs. I haven't worn scrubs. <laughs> in a year and a half. So it's been kind of, it's a paradigm sh shift. So yeah, you got to find different information, you know, but it's out there. Other people are doing it. And that's why I always say, if somebody else is doing it, then we can figure out a way to do it. If Tesla just scaled their business that much and they are worth however many trillion dollars right now. I mean, are you kidding me? Overvalued right now, but still good play, but they've changed the way they've thought they've brought on people. They've scaled in an amazing way. So how can I do that? How can I scale like that? Who can I hire? that can do this or who can I contract to come in and help with X, Y, or Z system, you know? So that's kind of what I'm trying to constantly think about now that I'm not practicing in the chair uh, of ways that I can use um, my mind to keep generating value for our business.
and it's been fun. It's it's neat to kind of change the shift, the pattern, the paradigm. It's an adventure. Well, it's 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 what what's next, isn't it? Um, one yeah. one of the things I tell people a lot. Um, a couple of pieces of advice I give to every young dentist. The first one is know your number, and that number is your first retirement number. What do you have to have in the bank? What type of investments do you need so that you can retire with the lifestyle that you want to maintain? And know that number and work backwards from it, because if you don't do that, you will never get there. Yeah. The uh, the second piece of retirement uh, advice I give people is to be a serial retiree. Everyone can be a serial entrepreneur. Aim to become a serial retiree. Build your first retirement, create your next number, build your second retirement. And I believe what I just heard you say was, I just realized that I'm in a different phase of my life and I'm building my second retirement. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about it like that? Yeah, I'm, I'm calling it phase two. It's kind of a, it's my phase two. So we're, we're shifting things like that. Yeah, and I, I kind of got to a point where I could retire now. It was like, wow, holy cow. You had worked past that point already though. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of did. And, and, you know, when you said know your number, when I started out, I remember I had a number that I wanted to make uh, per year. You know, I thought, man, if I can make $250,000, whoo. And I know some people get offended when you say numbers, so I'm not trying to offend anybody, but I was like, man, if I can make 250, holy cow, this would be like amazing. And then I think like three years into opening my practice, I paid taxes on, you know, $250,000 check I had to write. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, holy crap. This is crazy. So you can have great success in dentistry and have fun, but yeah, also save it, you know? And, and one thing that we say is invest in our memories. That's one a family mantra that we have. And we make investment in our memories, not necessarily things. Things don't really make you, they don't bring happiness, you know, if you want to get back to some advice like that. And then, you know, there's naysayers that'll say, oh, that's easy to say when you have money. And it's like, hmm. well, but I didn't always have money, <laughs> you know? And you can still feel insecure about the money that you do have. If you do have it, it's all about your state of mind because and happiness, you know? Absolutely. Well, nothing is worth anything without happiness. That's right. Yeah. It's futile. Well, Brett, thank you so much for joining us today and um, dropping a, dropping some truth bombs and a little bit of wisdom on our, our audience. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. It was, it was a lot of fun. Hey guys, thanks again for joining us for the Dear Doc podcast. And uh, we hope you'll continue listening. We'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening to the Dear Doc Podcast, your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Dear Doc Podcast on all major platforms.